For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Wednesday, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating tonight? As you all know, I believe that there's something to celebrate every day if we take the time to do so. And I am very excited tonight to be celebrating a dear friend, Mark Rosen, who is here on the show tonight. Uh, Mark, I, you know, we've known each other a long time, and I've had the pleasure of celebrating you in my blog many years ago when your book came out, Rubbing Elbows. And you have rubbed elbows, uh, I think, with everybody in the business. Everybody has rubbed elbows with you. Tonight, I'm going to rub elbows with you. We're going to talk about the trajectory of your life, your career, your body of worth. But before we jump into all of that, I want to ask, who or what are you celebrating today? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm with you. I believe in celebrating every day, too. I had lunch today with a friend from elementary school. That's how far back... Uh, uh, my friendships go, and uh, that was fun catching up and uh, teaching my class at Pratt, my graduate class this afternoon. So I guess I'm celebrating friendship and education and uh, this beautiful weather. Uh, absolutely. That's what it, it was a great day. My friend Russ Woolley, who you know, yeah. uh, he called me up today and he said, Let's go. Uh, we went to the Noble Cafe around the corner. You've right. been there many times. We had a wonderful afternoon with our dog, Benny. Uh, so it was, a, it was a gorgeous day to just get out of the house and, you know, celebrate. Uh, but, you know, I'm glad that you brought up uh, meeting with an elementary friend. Uh, you grew up not far from here. Uh, I live, in, you know, in Piermont, Spark Hill. Uh, and you live uh, very close here as well, but you have a place in the city. Uh, but you grew up in Inglewood, New Jersey. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm going to pull up a photograph. I asked for a photograph of you uh, as a five-year-old. There's a reason uh, for my madness, Mark, uh, because to me, the five-year-old self is the purest self. This is before life begins to tell you who you should be or who you shouldn't be. Uh, and they start to put labels on you. Um, tell us a little bit about this five-year-old uh, boy growing up in Inglewood, New Jersey. Well, first of all, I was blonde, which I can't even imagine that I was blonde <laughs> all those years. My hair is so dark. I, I was, was too. I was <laughs> you were too. Okay. Um, well, I was. I still remember that little striped polo shirt I was wearing, and uh, I was very cute. And uh, I don't remember being that cute. Somehow, along the lines, the way I lost the cuteness, but. Uh, I had a very happy childhood, and uh, I have an older sister, and we're still very close. And uh, I had very, I had a really nice family, nice parents, and uh, so I was very lucky. And my parents uh, supported me in whatever I wanted to do, because uh, in those days, being a designer, going to college for design was like my grand, my mother's father. When I, I was accepted to Carnegie, to many schools, but well, I went let's to Carnegie. Back up for just a moment right. before we get there. Because one of the things that I loved reading about you and knowing about you from interviewing you before is you worked uh, part-time uh, in a blood bank. And you, <laughs> absolutely, yes, you absolutely thought that you were going to be a doctor. Well, because in those... That you could not stand the sight of blood. Correct. Because in those days in, in public school uh, where I went, you either, the the uh, counselor who helped you, you could, you could either be a teacher, a lawyer, or a doctor, that or an Indian chief. I mean, right. Those were the choices. And so I just assumed, being a nice Jewish boy, that I would probably be a doctor. So I decided to volunteer at the local hospital blood bank after school and soon discovered that I could not stand the sight of blood. So I ruled that out immediately. And uh, law was not interesting. I didn't want to be an Indian chief. And I never took art in high school because it seemed like a wasted elective. So I had a bulletin board in my bedroom and I used to have change it all the time with different creative things. And my parents would say, oh, he's very creative. Yes, that was like a hobby, you know. And then the summer uh, before I went to college and I was looking for schools, I went to a local bookstore and bought a thick book on every college in America. And that summer I went through it and chose 
the schools that taught uh, graphic design, which in those but days. You, uh, you know, but you told me that you really didn't know anyone in that world except no for someone who was a friend of your mom's. We had an interior decorator friend named Jack Walsh, and he decorated uh, my parents' house. And he sadly was an alcoholic, and he would come over to visit after the house was done, he'd stop over. My mother would put out a bottle of Shiva's Regal. And the more he drank, the more creative he got. And he would, she, there was a whole wall with the cathedral ceiling of maybe 30 pictures, paintings. And he'd say, I'm a teenager. He'd say, Mark, let's take them all down and rehang them. And this happened many times. So I learned how to do it by eye. And he recognized that I had talent. And my first painting I ever did in college, I gave to him as a gift. And sadly, when he died of alcoholism, I was able to get the painting back. So he was my first influence. But as I said earlier, my parents really supported whatever I wanted to do. So when I decided to go to college for design, they absolutely were supportive. And uh, I, then I went to Carnegie Mellon. Now, I know that you applied to many colleges and you were accepted into every one of them. How do you know all these things? What's that? How do you know all these things? I'm well, amazed. my research. I'm right. right. That's your profession, right? Yes. But you, you were accepted into every college that you accepted. But why Carnegie Mellon above all? Well, the irony is I also had no portfolio, which you needed to get accepted. And... So I went to my, the, the Y in Englewood had an art class at night and, and my father would drive, would drive me there. And I, the teacher gave me private lessons and helped me put together a portfolio. So that's how I went. And all, when I went on interviews in the, in the New York hotels had the interviews, the other students had all gone to music and art, which was a very fine school in New York for art. And I'm, carrying my little portfolio. They had beautiful black leather portfolios. But anyway, somehow I got in. They, the, the, they saw a potential in me. And I chose Carnegie Mellon because I wanted to you know, get away from home. Uh, Pratt would have been another choice. Uh, and uh, I just liked uh, the idea of Carnegie Mellon. And I had, I don't know if you know this, but one of my great experiences there was not just the school, but in my sophomore year, when you were able to move out of the dorm, rather than going to a fraternity, there was an old mansion on Amberson and Fifth Avenue built by a steel baron. And the woman who owned it rented rooms to students. So a friend of mine and myself got a, a, a room there and she became my second mother and took me to auctions. And that's how I became interested in antiques. So my education there was much more than school. It was also this wonderful living in this house and this wonderful experience and going to auctions. And that was has always been a big part of my life. You know, you've been to my house. But absolutely. But I, you know, what I also loved, uh, you know, you, I mean, living in what, what I think of is this idyllic life with your parents in Inglewood, that even going to getting accepted into these colleges, you didn't even realize that there was any sense of competition with other no. students. Until well, I, I, when, I, when I went on the interviews and saw these kids with leather portfolios, I thought, oh my God, you know, but I, was, I got into all these schools miraculously. And uh, Carnegie Mellon, I also liked the man who interviewed me very much. He was very empathetic and he, he believed in me. And in my, I've never told this to anyone, but in my freshman year, I had a drawing class. I had never taken, taken drawing and all the other students had, you know, taken uh, the art classes. And the end of the first quarter of the semester, the teacher took me, a, he gave me a D. And I never had a D in my life. He took me aside and told me that I was wasting my parents' money and perhaps I should become a museum curator. <laughs> I, ne I never spoke to that man again. Again, he, he, I went to the man who interviewed me initially and cried, and he boosted, you know, boosted up my morale and said, you show him that he was wrong, which I did, and brought my mark up to a B. So that man who interviewed me was really crucial in, in keeping me there and, and giving me confidence. Was that the impetus for you to keep going? Yeah, he, he said, don't you show him that he's wrong which I did, and I just, that was such a mean thing to do, 
to uh, someone who's only been there two months, you know, to really tell them that, you know, wait, because it's so expensive. In those still, schools are even more today. But it was a lot of money, you know, for my parents. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm wasting their money. You know, they, they believed in me. So, uh, yeah. You know. Well, think of how many careers have been ended because of comments like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, but I want to go to this first design that you sold because I... <laughs> it's such a great story that goes with that. So you you create this design, you sell it. It is sold to Avon. I went to graduate school at Pratt because I decided my senior year at Carnegie Mellon, I realized that I wanted to specialize in packaging design because we had a project and Pratt had the first graduate program in packaging design. And now it was different because now I got a fellowship. I had proven myself and I had a portfolio. And uh, the teacher that the second semester of the first year, we had a project to do a fragrance package. And the professor who actually worked at Avon said, you know, you should really go this summer and show it to the head of design at Avon. So I called from my summer job. Hello, my name is Mark Rosen. I'm a student at Pratt Institute. My professor told me I should show you my design. And he, he said he kindly made an appointment and I drove into the city with my little bag with my design. He was on the top floor of the skyscraper and his corner office with palm trees. It was so glamorous. I was so intimidated. And he looked at the design and he paid me $3,000, which was just enough, Richard, to buy a brand new Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> no. Exactly what I did with the money. I, well, I love that story because to me, it seems as if, you know, once you get this car, you, it, it's almost like you've got freedom to do whatever you want to in the world. Yes, yes. So you, you knew at this moment that you were definitely on the right path. Yeah, exactly. I wanted cosmetic design. And the fact that I got paid for it, suddenly I was a professional. I was no longer just a student. I, when, they, when, you, when you get paid for it, you're, you know, that's the real deal. So uh, again, then I went on, you know, and I got my first job at Revlon uh, with the founder, Charles Revson, who was still alive. And uh, that was the beginning of my career. Let's talk about the trajectory, I mean, the turnaround moment for you when you get uh, to a point where the name Mark Rosen starts meaning something in this business. And you've got this great book that I recommend to everybody. Uh, it's a beautiful book. Uh, but when your name started meaning something in the industry? When I, I was at Revlon and um, I had a very good friend who I actually, who uh, was quite eccentric and she was uh, working at Elizabeth Arden. In those days, Elizabeth Arden was an extremely important prestige cosmetic company, whereas Revlon was mainstream price-wise. And she um, called one day, I was married. I had my first marriage and we were restoring an old house in Pelham Manor. And uh, she called and said that she was freelancing uh, at Elizabeth Arden and the head of packaging left. I was 29 and in those days, you had to be at least 40 to get a job that was on that level. So she said that she told them about me and uh, they're going, they'd like to interview me. So I was sure they never hired me because I was so young. I went on the interview, threw together a portfolio, and to, they hired me. I mean, it would, that's, that was my turning point because Arden, Elizabeth Arden herself had passed away a few years before, and everything was pink, this sort of dirty pink. She had not refreshed it in years, but she lived to be quite old. And Eli Lilly, the drug company, purchased it. So they wanted to totally redo the company. So I didn't even realize what an opportunity it was for me to come in there and totally revive the company through its packaging. And so uh, I got the job. And uh, uh, my, when I told my boss at Revlon I was leaving, he gave me very good advice because I was so nervous, you know, that I was going to be able to fulfill the job. And he said, just remember that they hired you and they believe that you are an expert. And all you need to do is fulfill their expectations. And wow. that, that stuck wow. with me. Yeah. And uh, so uh, I went to Arden and uh, it was a great company, just great. And they gave me huge opportunities. And the first thing they had, I realized was they had no fragrance to speak of. They had fragrances from the past. 1938 Bluegrass was their most famous fragrance. And 
another one called Memoir Cherie from the 50s. And they were competing against Estee Lauder and other companies. And yet Christmas, which was the biggest selling season for fragrance in those days, uh, they didn't have a viable fragrance. And because I was always interested in history, uh, and they were the oldest cosmetic company in existence, I realized that they could do something that no one else could do, which was to create uh, collections based on historic places. And so uh, I began the yearly design of porcelain collections based on museums and stately homes. And the first one I did, which no one heard of there but me, and they trusted me, was the Royal Pavilion at Brighton, which if you oh, remember the yes. Barbara Streisand movie, Queer Day, you can see for yes, the other one. Yeah, um, It's a fabulous palace built by George IV in Brighton. And I had been there on my, with my first wife on my honeymoon. And I told them about it. Of course, the executives had never heard of it, but they trusted me. And through my career, that means so much when the people you work for trust you and believe in you. So off we went to the Pavilion of Brighton. I called up and they, you know, they needed money like every museum and we paid them a stipend. I bought my designers there. And uh, the first collection was hugely successful. People didn't care what was in, in the porcelains. They just wanted to buy the collection. And to this day, you can find them on eBay, which is so great. You can find the porcelains uh, still that, that, you know, that are recycled for sale. So uh, that's how it started. And then each one year, the next year I did Versailles with Gerald Vanderkamp, who was the famous curator. And then I did Top Cathy. And one year I did uh, uh, Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, I wanted to do something American and uh, many, many stories. But uh, so I did that for 12 years. And then and I, we had the license for Karl Lagerfeld and Chloe and, and Fendi. So I got to work with all those great designers and. So that's when I became so visible because most cosmetic companies did not give the designers the visibility. And Estee Lauder, who was alive, everything was done by Estee Lauder, even though she certainly did not do the packaging. And Arden gave me the credit, the interviews with the press, the visibility. And that's when I started making a name for myself. And I was asked to write a column in a, a trade magazine. I was asked to put together museum collections. And I said yes to everything, <laughs> because when you're young, you think you can do anything, and you well, do I it. I want to ask you about that, Mark. I mean, being in the business that I'm in, I mean, you're very comfortable in front of the camera. You've always been Was that comfortability always there, or was this something that you had to learn as you went along? Well, I would say it was pretty much always there. Of course, when I met Arlene, who I, my, my wife, Arlene Dahl, who I, yeah, who I met through the perfume business, because, you know, I did a per perfume. And that's how we met. Uh, we, we'll talk about it, that later, I guess. Um, so uh, I would see her being interviewed and I would think she always looks so good in pictures. How is she looking at the camera that I'm not? So I finally mastered you know, how to look at the camera properly. Uh, but yeah, I was always comfortable. I always figured all I can do is my best. I, I was never intimidated because I did a lot of public speaking in the cosmetic industry. So I became uh, really well-known in the industry through the press at Arden, through a major museum exhibit called Sense of Time, which traveled around the country. I wrote uh, you know, many magazine articles, I gave lectures, and then eventually the book. So I've been very blessed. Uh, and then of course, Pratt was a, gave me a lot of visibility and was a really important part of my life. I had, after graduate school, um, I stayed in touch with them. And one day someone came from development and said they'd like to create a scholarship in my name. Uh, and uh, that changed, really changed my life also. And we did, I'll never forget, because uh, we just had this thing for Helen Hayes, who was a great friend of ours. We had uh, uh, at Christie's, when Christie's was on Park Avenue, they get, they, we went to them and they gave us the space. And we had a cocktail party. It was fifty dollars a person in those days. Was a lot, um, you know. And, and we had Helen Hayes, and everyone's dead. Anthony Quinn, the Fendi's. I mean, all these people came uh, because they were friends, and I had worked with them. And uh, that was put the scholarship on the map, and I was given the, the, an award. And uh, from then on, we did a dinner for thirty years called the Art of Packaging, in honor of different cosmetic company each year that I felt ha had uh, accomplished that. 
uh, at the University Club and raised over the years uh, $4 million through the wow. ticket sales and table sales. And that, again, gave me huge visibility in the industry because everybody came to this dinner and it was so much work to do it, to get a, as you know, to get a, a, an honoree and to sell the tables and to do it. And uh, so what I'm very proud of, in fact, I'm just doing something right now that's apropos, uh, we, uh, uh, most colleges in America do not have full tuition scholarships. They're all partial. And I didn't know that. Uh, I have two, through this, these events, they created the Mark Rosen Scholarship for uh, Packaging Design at Pratt for graduate school. And we have two full tuition scholarships. So a million dollars in the interest at 5% is 50,000, which is exactly the tuition at Pratt. So students from all over the world apply for it. And now, just now, you heard it first. <laughs> we uh, are creating a third scholarship, and I'm gearing it towards sustainability, which is something everybody's talking about, uh, sustainability in packaging and, and everything. So this, uh, that's the scholarship. And every year, I also have an education fund. And I hope you come on the 30th of November at the uh, Asia Society. We're doing a symposium, which I do each year. And the topic okay. this, this year is designing for sustainable innovation. And I have people uh, from all the areas Pratt teaches. I have Mitchell Gold, who's a furniture designer, very famous manufacturer. Uh, uh, Deborah Brown, who was president of Donna Karen, to talk about sustainability in fashion. The head of sustainability at Estee Lauder, and a gentleman who is in the financial part of it. And uh, so doing the scholarship and the symposium together, and I was very excited because Women's Wear Daily just called a friend of mine who's the head of beauty uh, and they're gonna come and do a big piece on it. So uh, I am really proud of the scholarships and the work I do at Pratt, which uh, as you're, you're the thing running across the bottom of the screen, the comment from Rochelle uh, Bloom, who was the president, yeah. that giving, yeah. back, giving back is so important. And that's something I, I love doing my whole career. I actually taught my class this afternoon, I told you. so. Uh, and you certainly do. So, you know, that's something everyone should be doing who's, who's been blessed the way I have. Amen. Uh, I wanna ask you, I wanna talk about sustainability uh, for a moment because uh, going into this business and, and I, what I love about your story, Mark, is the fact that you always showed up. You always, it seems to me, uh, based on what I'm hearing, that you, we, and you've always said yes to me, that you always say yes, uh, and there's a song like this. <laughs> say that? There's a song, you know, say yes that lies. Say yes, Liza Minnelli. Um, was that always there? You know, interesting enough. Years ago, I heard an interview with William Shatner, and they said, "What do you attribute to your success?" At the time, he was doing the Priceline commercials. He was on Broadway with his one-man show. His book had just come out. Uh, he said, "I say yes. I get out of the house. I show up." He said, nowadays you can order everything that you want. You know, I've been, you know, I made a decision this week. I'm leaving Facebook because I feel that it sucked the life out of me. Uh, I want to get out of the house more. I want to do more. Yeah. And I need to get back out and, you know, and get back to my roots of why I came to this city in the first place. But you've always said yes. You've always shown up. And you did you have a game plan in terms of the career that you wanted to lay out for yourself? Or did it unfold basically? It, it, it evolved. And I think if you're open to it, it just evolves. I just was lucky because I became visible and I was one of the very few and maybe the only uh, fragrance packaging designer that was out there. So people would call me for interviews or call me to do things. It also helped me get business, of course. Uh, and I think because I was visible and out there. And I also learned from Arlene, you know, being a celebrity, as you know, you know, you're called upon to do so many things. And she would say yes most of the time, unless it was something, I was the one who would say, you know, you shouldn't do that. You know, maybe it's demeaning or, you know, it's you shouldn't open a supermarket or something. I'm making that up. But I mean, uh, so, yeah, I always said yes. Well, let's talk about Arlene. Uh, I mean, first of all, uh, one of those glamorous movie stars ever. And then I love this photograph of the two of you together. Um, 
you uh, came in to create a fragrance for her. Is that how? Yeah, I was still married. And uh, this friend actually who recommended me to Arden, who was so influential in my life, who was Arlene's age. I was 26 or 27 at the time. She called and said, um, you know, I'm doing a fragrance for Arlene Dahl. And she was so excited. And I said, that's great, Dorothy. And she said, I recommended you to do the packaging. Can you moonlight? An expression which nobody uses anymore. <laughs> I know <laughs> so, what it means. <laughs> so, uh, so I said, well, yeah, because I could use the extra money. We were storing the house, and she wanted me to be terribly excited that it was Arlene Dahl because she knew she had seen her films. I had seen Arlene on Mike Douglas or on TV, and knew she was beautiful, had red hair, and a beauty mark. And so, of course, I was pleased to meet a, my first celebrity and uh, to do a new fragrance. So I went to, this is a nice story, I went to meet her at this woman's office and I still remember what I wore. I wore a in those days, you wear a three-piece suit, a tweed, brown tweed, three-piece suit. I thought I looked pretty, as good as I was gonna get. And I went to the appointment, I came in and I saw Arlene who was just so beautiful. And uh, she came up, she said hello and she said, hello, she said, I bet you're a Libra. Now, I knew I was a Libra because my first wife was interested a bit enough in astrology to know my sign. So Arlene said, I, she said, if Arlene said, I know you're a Libra. In fact, I bet your birthday is September 30th, 29th or 30th. Well, it's September 30th. Well, I was impressed, as you can imagine. And that was sort of the beginning of our friendship. That's how it started. And then throughout the project, you know, we had a great time. It was, it was wonderful. I designed the, the packaging. And then just about the time it was ending, so was my marriage. And we would have lunch maybe once a month after the project was over. We had become friends. And uh, one day I told her that uh, I was divorced. My wife and I were getting divorced and we were selling the house we had in Helen Manor. I was moving to the city. I bought a big television set thinking I, when you live in the suburbs, you watch a lot of television. So I thought I would be watching TV. And she said, oh, I have so many girlfriends I can fix you up with. Don't worry. And then at the same time, her marriage was ending, her fifth. <laughs> Count them. <laughs> Mine was just But one. I will say this, yours lasted the longest. Oh, 37 years, yes, I know. Far yes. the longest. So anyway, <clears throat> so we would just go out to dinner, you know, as friends. And I noticed that I was starting to have feelings for her. And uh, But then she was 20 years older. She was famous. I was you know, in my late 20s. No, I was, I was 30, 31, <clears throat> but still very young. And I wanted to talk to her about it because we were spending a lot of time together. Now, her invitations were much better than mine. I would invite her to a restaurant or to a cosmetic event. She would invite me to 21 for dinner with the Shah of Iran, slightly better. So one night, <clears throat> excuse me, we went to a cocktail party and I had some champagne, maybe a little too much. So at dinner, I bought it up. It was, no, it was in early November. And the little boy, Stephen, was at home. He was seven. And uh, I said, you know, we're spending so much time together. You know, I really think we should talk about it because otherwise, you know, you should be dating. I should be dating. And, and she's so, you know, we have to really see if this is going to work. And so she, as only she could, she called a friend in Paris. Listen to this name, Tilda Tamar. Is that a great, you can't make up a name like that. She was an Argentine, she was the Argentine Marilyn Monroe who was ousted by Avina Perón because she was so beautiful. And she moved to Paris and married Alejo Vidal Cuadras who was a very famous portrait artist here. You know, every society woman had their portrait done. And uh, she also knew Fernando Lamas in Argentina as when they were both young. So anyway, so Arlene had stayed friendly with her. She called Tilda who was, not going to be there at Christmas. Uh, she was going to her home in Rockbrunn and gave us her penthouse on Avenue Hoche with the butler. So we went there, the little Stephen, Arlene's young son was going to be with his father. And we had this incredibly romantic time in Paris, went to Laurent New Year's Eve and fell in love. And that was the beginning. We came back and everyone said, oh, this will never last. I mean, she's been married <laughs> five times. He's 20 years younger. I mean, I was vice president of Elizabeth Arden, so I wasn't 
a toy boy, you know, she was a cougar, an early cougar. So, <laughs> so we, we became sort of very popular because of the, the, the age difference and uh, it was something different. And uh, we finally got married about two years later and that's another whole story. But, uh, and 37 very happy years. So she, it'll be a year November 29th that she's yes. passed, yes. as you know, so. Well, anyway. I was very lucky. Uh, she did my charts for me. Uh, so uh, <laughs> I want to ask you, uh, I have to go there. Uh, did she ever, in terms of any decisions you make, uh, base it on the stars? I mean, did she okay. say, this is not the right time to do this? Yeah, Wait a Oh, yeah, or I go out in the morning, I come to kiss her goodbye to go to the office and she'd say, you know, be very wary today. Or, you know, someone's going to try to upset you or, you know, watch your finances today. Or, you know, I, if I had a big presentation, I'd say, how's it going to be? So, of course, she always saw the upside. She was a very positive person. She never really said, don't leave the house. You know, lightning is going to strike you. But... Uh, yeah, she was. She really believed and wrote. You know, she wrote many books on astrology. So uh, she was really into it. And I learned a lot. I mean, the one thing I did learn was that we tend, we you know, we tend to make friends and relate to people in either our rising sign, sun, or moon. So if you write down a list of all your friends or the people you instantly like, strangers, you know, people, new people, they tend to fall into those three categories. Well, I will say, uh, and then, I, but I, there, I want to talk about uh, her entrepreneurial uh, sense in a moment. But one of the things that, one of the highlights of my life uh, was performing at your 50th birthday uh, party. At, the at 21. 20, yeah. At the 21 Club. And with Lillian Montevecchi, Arlene Dahl, and myself on the bill. I, I mean, to me, I mean, I could die and that would, you know, and that would be it for me. Uh, it was just such an incredible evening. And uh, so, and Arlene calling me and asking me to be a part of that evening. Yeah, yeah that was, was great. Yeah. That's one of the highlights. But, um, you know, in addition to being a phenomenal actress, uh, an astrologer, uh, she wrote many books. Uh, she was a great entrepreneur yeah. and she had an incredible business sense. Uh, you know, it, I mean, how did that, the two of those things mesh in your other life, uh, well, the two of you together? Because you had this incredible marriage together. You have, uh, you know, this uh, great book, Rubbing Shoulders, which I'm giving away a copy of tonight, by the oh, way. Good, good. Uh, yes. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I can't even, I, um, you, you were so much a part of the New York social scene. Uh, for so many, many years, and you still are. Um, how did all of that just, it, it just seemed like it was the perfect, for lack of a better word, the perfect storm. For, of it it all was, because, you know, I was in the glamour business, you know, working with Karl Lagerfeld and all these people and the whole cosmetic industry, more then than now, was all about glamour. So, and Arlene was all about glamour and Hollywood. So it was, we were kind of in the same business and I worked with a lot of celebrities who were doing fragrances also. So that was uh, something that was very similar, uh, but also, um, I don't know, we just became popular, I think initially because of, well, she was, you know, so beautiful and uh, she was already established socially and I was new meat and, and we were, you know, it was controversial, the age, as I said before. Mm -hmm. uh, but people, people once they, they liked me, and because I was, you know, I was successful. It wasn't that Arlene was with someone who she was carrying. Uh, we became very popular. And then, as you know, with press in those days, the PR, the uh, you know, public relations people would invite people that could get their name in their columns of the event they're sponsored, they're doing. So they would invite us to things because they knew Eugenia Shepard or David Patrick Columbia or whoever would, would mention us the fact that we were there. So that kind of fed upon itself and we became very popular. But then to, to answer your question, you know, um, when sh she was entrepreneurial and uh, it really started, which is interesting, uh, when she was at MGM, you know, and the studios would not allow their stars to do anything 
they could not uh, you know, design clothes, they could not do other things. The studios controlled them completely. And Arlene was sent on tour for three little words to Chicago with the publicist, famous publicist from MGM. And Colonel McCormick owned the Chicago Tribune New York News Syndicate, and it was his birthday. And he, the, his secretary knew Arlene was in town. They asked if he, she could attend his birthday party. And he turned to her at dinner and asked her if she would write a beauty column. And she said she would love to, but Mayer would never allow it, L.B. Mayer. And he said, I'll take care of L.B. because Mayer, MGM needed their advertising. So he got her to do the column. So for 20 years, she wrote an internationally syndicated beauty column. Mm -hmm. So that was her first step, you know, doing something different. And she got to interview every famous star because she had access to all the studios. So that's like another, another book I'm going to do. But um, so then when she left Metro, uh, you know, when Mayer left and Jory Sherry came in, there's a whole story. She, uh, she, she uh, went to different, uh, what's his name? She had this great agent who became head of Universal. I forgot his name. Um, she had three picture deals at Fox and, and Paramount at every studio. And so she then uh, designed a lingerie line, which was on the cover of Life magazine. On the cover of Life magazine. Yeah. I should have pulled right. it up. Uh, yeah, yeah. I have it. Yeah, so that was the second thing she did. And then she uh, started writing, uh, because of the beauty column, she wrote beauty books. Then she uh, started writing about astrology. And then Sears Roebuck came to her when Sears was a big company. And signed, she was the first celebrity to be signed by a big store. And they did Arlene Dahl wigs and Arlene Dahl makeup and and tights and exercise and beauty work. marks and beauty right and beauty marks so anyway so that's how it kind of like with me if you say yes it grew and she kept doing many things and eventually the fragrance and she became very entrepreneurial and i was really pleased with the new york times obituary uh sad as it was that they really focused on the fact that she was entrepreneurial she was not just another pretty face she really had done so many other things in her career, which is really in those days was unusual. Yes. I have a question from one of our viewers, uh, Danielle. Uh, she wants to know, what would be the best advice for an outsider uh, to present a design or a design idea? To? I guess to a, a, a major company or... I'm assuming that's what she's asking. Yeah, to a cosmetic company. Yes. Uh, well, it is, it's hard. I mean, uh, it's, the business is very different than when I went to Avon and was able to call, you know, uh, it's much more corporate. Uh, I would say, again, to Danielle, have self-confidence in what you do. Make sure that the design is um, really appropriate and, and, and the presentation of the design is professional, not just a drawing that you did, but something that's beautifully rendered. Uh, People like to hear what you have to say. You need to talk, not just show a picture. You need to really have the background as to why you designed it, why you think it's, it can be successful, who is your customer. This is what I tell my students at Pratt. So you, she needs to be able to present it with authority. And I think you know there's no reason why she couldn't. Mark, do you do master classes outside of Pratt? No, I don't. But I have... A, so many young people I've helped over the years. In fact, in Piermont at the market, uh, there was this guy selling paint, young guy selling paintings. And uh, I said to him, you know, are you going to school? And he said, well, you know, I really can't afford it right now. And I said, well, you know, I'm a trustee at Pratt. If I can help you, uh, let me know. And just this week, he, he sent me an email that could, 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 I, could we meet? And I did say to him though, which he didn't seem to like, is all his paintings pretty much looked alike. Mm -hmm. And I, they were nice. And I said to him, you know, you're very talented, but try stretch, try something different. These were all abstract, try a landscape, try something else. And he looked at me and I thought, he's not amused by my saying this, but obviously if he came back to me, maybe he thought about it uh, and he, he appreciated it. So I hope so. Well, good for both of you. The, since you, I, the business has changed a lot, obviously. Uh, what are some of the major changes that have happened in the industry uh, 
since your beginnings that you really love that have happened in the industry? And what are things that you really have not truly accepted that you wish would come back? And then I want, and I've got another question about how social media has really affected your life and the media and the world of uh, uh, design. Well, I have to say, uh, even though I sound a bit like an old fogey, I do miss a lot the days uh, when the industry was smaller and when uh, creative ideas could flourish without committees making decisions. But uh, the good news today is I think younger women and men are much more interested in the ingredients that go into the products. When your mother bought a perfume, she just bought it because it smelled good or she liked the bottle. Mm -hmm. Today, uh, young people want something experiential. They want a story, which is why I just mentioned that Danielle needs to do that. They want to hear the story behind it. They want, they really look at the ingredients, sustainability. They want to know the packaging. But I'm doing a new fragrance and I'm uh, presenting it at Bergdorf Goodman. And the buyer, who's an old friend, said, is it sustainable? Bergdorf Goodman. And you might think that the client there would be less interested and want something that's luxurious. So that said a lot to me. So I like the fact that uh, even though sustainability has made designers' life harder, because you've lost a lot of the tools that you could work with that are not sustainable. Uh, I like the fact that we're worried about the planet. Uh, I like the fact that the consumer today is much more interested in the fragrance ingredients and the brand and the story. Uh, and uh, so that's the, that's the best part of it. Uh, the things that I miss, uh, I miss working one-on-one -on -one with the designers or celebrities. Today, they all have entourages that, you know, you can never meet the celebrity. She give it to her assistant and she'll show it. I, <laughs> I mean, I just refuse to do it. I mean, I just will do it. So I'm lucky I can make that choice. But, uh, you know, having worked with so many more important celebrities in my life than some of the younger ones who are so pretentious, that I miss that. Uh, I miss the glamour that uh, I lived with with Arlene and in the industry in its day. It was so glamorous. And, uh, you know, that's gone. I mean, uh, everyone's, you know, today, bean counters, everything's about money. I mean, when we launched the Lagerfeld fragrance in, in Versailles, can you imagine? We flew the Concorde, we stayed at the Ritz, you know, limousines to Versailles. Princess Caroline was present for the, with the Ballet of Monte Carlo in the Jewel Box Theater at Versailles. We walked through the Hall of Mirrors and Fouquet, the most famous caterer in Paris, did the catering. And we looked out the windows in the Salle de Glace, the Great Hall in Versailles, and they had fireworks in the shape of my bottle. So that's <laughs> glamour. That's glamour. That's glamour. President Arden once said to me, or said to someone else about me, only Mark Rosen can exceed an unlimited budget. <laughs> <Because it's laughs> I love that. What a comment. I took it as a compliment. <laughs> I'm not sure he meant it that way. But I uh, used to do all these big launch events all over the world for the fragrances. You wouldn't launch a fragrance without a huge event. Today, nobody does it. Zero. Because nobody wants to spend the money. They don't understand the image is gone people don't understand image the way they used to. And I don't want to be a naysayer. I love the business. I still love doing it. But when I, the other day, I had someone at the apartment and I have a table with all the factice, the big giant bottles of all my, that go in the stores. And it's like an installation. And a friend of mine was there and she's at the party and she said, oh, Mark, they're so glamorous. And I said, Vanessa, that is the greatest compliment you can give me because I wanted to bring glamour to the consumer. When she looks at it, when she picks it up, when she smells it, take her out of her everyday life and, and something special, so. Have there ever, uh, forgive me for this question, uh, have there ever been any missteps in terms of your design? And if so, what guts gets you through that? Well, I haven't had missteps in terms of the specific designs. I've designed things I call them lost icons. The book is called Glamour Icons because there's models I designed, some of my nicest ones that never happened. 
because they, the, the, the client ran out of money or they, uh, one project I had was to do a fragrance for based on Marilyn Monroe at the time of her auction. There's a picture in the book of the bottle. And this guy, and I said to him, do you have the license to do that? Oh, yes, he said. So anyway, I did the bottle and I finally called, uh, what was the, the famous acting coach he had, Lee Strasberg. His, his daughter inherited the whole estate and I, I, we knew her. So I called her and said, by the way, I'm doing this fragrance. This man had never been given permission to do it. So the project was dead as a doornail. I still have the Factice, the, the, the model that I photographed for the book. So many times things like that happen. So I guess they were missteps, not in terms of my design, but in terms of the project going forward. Usually it was, usually it was because of money. They didn't have the money. The trick is to work for clients who have, have money, who can finance it. What do you think is the future of uh, design and uh, branding? Well, that's a huge question. Um, I think... Um, I mean, do you, and again, getting back to a question that I asked earlier, do you think that social media is helping or impeding this business? Well, print advertising is almost a thing of the past, which is something I grew up as a norm. Well, a friend of mine, uh, Ed Kurtzman, uh, used to do the uh, pencil drawings for Lord and Taylor. Oh, right. Uh, the, the huge. Gorgeous drawings. And that, you know, they were gorgeous. They're gone. So was, Lord so was Lord and Taylor. Yes, uh, yes of well, course, that's true. That's true. So advertising, uh, print advertising is very limited. Um, I don't like the influencers at all. I think that's gotten completely out of hand with influencers. At the beginning, I think it was great. But it's, again, it's all about money. Uh, they're getting paid to, to recommend things. That's not what it was supposed to be initially about. Um, social media, I myself love doing Instagram. I mean, I took photography in college, didn't like it, never took pictures, never had a camera. I mean, I did, but never used it. And with my uh, iPhone, I love taking pictures and posting them and people keep telling me how much they love the pictures because as a designer, you know, you have a good eye in terms of framing it or editing it, editing it. So I enjoy that, but in terms of the business, uh, social media, yeah, is a big thing, particularly, I'd say, Instagram. Um, the um, It's totally different in terms of uh, public relations and advertising. And social media has changed everything. There's no question. Because young consumers get older information from social media. And older consumers, me, older over 50, probably still don't to a degree, yeah. to a degree. So you kind of have to do both. Um, it's, uh, I still am a great believer in public relations and getting things out there and people writing about it. Uh, you know, I'm blessed that I have so many friends who in, in the media who I can call and who you know, want to write about. I kind of have a, a, a sixth sense about what someone might be interested in writing about and they trust me. So uh, I still believe in that. Um, and one thing but, that, you know, there's a theme that runs through both of your books. And I, and again, as wonderful as your, I don't know where you found the time to write these two books. Uh, living, I mean, you, you lived it, you breathed it, it's all there. Um, but the one thing that I also love reading about is collaboration. That's so important. You have to, and you know, listen, working with the Karl Lagerfeld, you can imagine collaborating with him or, or five, five Fendi sisters, count them, uh, traveling with them. You, you know, you learn, and I was very young and intimidated initially, but then we became friends. So collaborating uh, became something that just was natural. And sometimes I have a client who is a bit controlling and worried that they're gonna lose, you know, their input. And I say, if I could work with Carl, I can work with anybody. Uh, so. Uh, you have to collaborate because before you do the design, you want to know the client's point of view, their ideas. Their, and I think, again, I'm being a bit negative. I was at Bergdorf the other day in the fragrance department. You know how cars all look alike today? Expensive mm -hmm. cars, inexpensive. They all basically have a similar body shape. It's the same with fragrance bottles. They're, they all have similar shapes. They're square, they're round, they're oblong. There's very few that really stand out. And it makes me sad 
because that's not the way I design. I don't design bottles where you can put anybody else's name on it. It has to be very specific to that client or to that uh, the name of the, the fragrance. Uh, and um, that's, that I feel badly, that's sad. And I teach my students not to do that, uh, but many people do. There's so many rectangular bottles out there. It's kind of a joke. Well, before we run out of time, I pulled up a few photographs I want to pull up. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I mean, here are your uh, Fifi Awards, your Fragrance Awards. Uh, where do you keep these? <laughs> well, I, these are these are the Academy Award of the Fragrance Industry. Yes, yes. I was lucky enough to win seven over the years. Uh, I had an exhibit a few years ago before COVID in a wonderful museum on Long Island called the Nassau Museum of, uh, of Art. And it was, it was a Frick mansion, a beautiful, huge estate. And I had a wonderful exhibit based on the Glamour Icons book. So these were on display. And after the exhibit, I they packed them up in a box and sent everything to me. And I'm embarrassed to say that they're still in the box. But you are reminding me now, this weekend, I'm going to unearth them and put them out. Okay, um, great. Yeah, thank you for doing this, because I forgot about them. I was so proud of winning them over the years. Especially. And here's this is like you know one of the famous uh, MGM George Harrell photos. I love what a uh, great photograph of you. Mark. Me too. Uh, Vincent Ricardel, who was a family friend, uh, took the photograph. He's a very famous portrait photographer, and his mother was Arlene's roommate when they first first came to New York to start their careers. That's another sometime I'll tell you a great story about it. But I thank you very much. I like this picture too. Great photo, and then I love this photo. Oh, this is a really good one. That's really Arlene when I met her and when she was so, so glamorous, you know. Look at her, just beautiful. I, I remember sitting behind her in church once and I just, I, I, mean, I mean, she looked like a porcelain doll. She was just so cool. She had an aura about her that yeah. just, you know, she was, there was this line of beauty is more than skin deep, but she had both. It was inside and outside. Here's another great photo that I love of you. Oh, uh, thank you. Great, great photo. And, uh, and I love this. And because uh, oh, with Olivia, yeah, in Paris, yes. we, she lived in Paris. And whenever we went there, we would visit with her. And this was in the lobby of the Ritz Hotel. And she and was. I, we were friendly with Joan Fontaine and Olivia, which was unusual, separately. Uh, well, I've told this story before, and I'll, and I'll share this, and then I'm going to bring up another photo. But uh, when uh, Joan Fontaine's book came out, No Better Roses, I went to a, a book signing at St. Malachy's. And she came out, and she said, I will talk about anything but my sister. Right, because that's what everybody would ask. Exactly. And a woman stood up and said, who is your sister? Oh, she must have loved that. And she jumped out of her chair. She There were flowers everywhere. She grabbed all the flowers. She oh. went out to her and she said, I'm taking you to dinner afterwards and I'm telling all. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's one of the funniest things that I've ever experienced. <laughs> and, and this photo, because two iconic people that I love very, uh, well, three. That I love very much are in this photo. Uh, 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 yes, this was at Swifties. This was a dinner uh, for, for uh, Carol's husband wanted to create a, a, a foundation in yes. her honor. And this was a dinner to talk about it. And Robert Osborne, who I miss terribly, yes. he was, as everyone knows, the host of Turner Classic Movies. And I would watch the movie. And, and Arlene, him. by the way, was there the first. We was there too. I don't know where, yeah. why she's not in the picture. She was there, and Carol's husband was there. But look how great Liza looked. God, yeah. God, it's a long time ago. And Carol was slow. Carol, I first met you, and through Carol, the first time I met you was. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I'm going to let you tell the story about oh. my appearing at your Christmas. Okay, party. I love this story. So we That's had a. Carol. We had a dear friend named Jeffrey Butler who invented airline magazines. And he, we used to have this big Christmas party at our country house near Richard. Uh, and, you know, we would have like 120 people and people would come up by limousine and Joan Collins and Joan Rivers and so, so many, and Cindy Adams and Liz Smith. Everybody came to this party. It was pretty oh, famous, pretty famous. And so uh, Jeff called a few days before the party and he said he went to a club in New York and there was this fabulous guy impersonating Carol Channing, who was a great friend of ours and of his, and she had been to our parties. 
And he said, can I bring him as a surprise? I said, yes, I'm not even going to tell Arlene. Now, my mother, who was an older woman who had met Carol Channing at one of our parties, was, at, was there. And Richard arrives in full Carol Channing drag, looking absolutely fabulous. But Richard is much taller than Carol Channing. And so, and, you know, wearing, I think it was a red outfit, so he really yeah. stood out. So my mother came up to me and she said, Mark, she said, I don't remember Carol Channing being that tall. And I looked at her like she had three heads and I, because everyone realized it was not Carol Channing, it was an impersonator. So I said, mother, that is um, an impersonator. That's not Carol Channing. And the look on my mother's face was so priceless, I will never forget it. And Richard, of course, then sang and he won everyone's heart. He was so fabulous. Oh, thank you for that's that. How, that's how we met. That's how it that's how we met. And I didn't and, even know he lived down the road. And then you, uh, you uh, well, Arlene called me uh, to present an award at uh, the Russian Tea Room. And uh, afterwards, Danny and uh, Sally Jesse Raphael's husband went to get the cars. Oh, right. Yes. And we, so Sally and I were standing at the door and everybody was craning their necks to get a look at us. And Sally said, Richard, turn around and look at those people. They're either thinking one of two things. Oh, my God. It's Carol Channing and Sally Jesse Raphael. Right. Or they're thinking those two men look like Carol Channing and Sally Jesse Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's totally disappeared, Sally oh, Jesse. I we know. Good friends. He'd passed away, sadly. Yeah, I know. I know. He completely disappeared. Um, no, those were fun, fun times. Well, you gave me some wonderful opportunities, and I get the opportunity now to say thank you for that. Well, so, thank you. Uh, you and it was My just pleasure. Fun. Our pleasure. Uh, I'm going to give away a copy of your book now but don't go anywhere for a moment because we are not exactly finished right now this is our giveaway thank you all for being here tonight and uh, so uh, we'll see who the winner is and uh, let's see there's Russ Woolley oh Danielle wow so, Danielle uh, great rubbing shoulders so uh, Danielle uh, hope you enjoy it hope you yes, enjoy it so uh, great, great stories in this book. And oh, I, uh, hope you you like, I hope you like it. It was fun writing it. So, Mark, I'm going to say a few closing remarks, and then I'm going to turn the uh, screen over to you, and you've got the final word tonight. It could be about anything that we talked about tonight, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message you want to leave everyone with tonight. Uh, don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. So uh, I will take care of that. But I want to thank everyone for being here tonight. Uh, Mark is incredible. Uh, get either of his books, uh, Glamour Icons uh, and or uh, Rubbing Shoulders. They're both incredible books. Um, I have to ask, Mark, um, I know that Arlene was working on her book for a while. Uh, is there a chance that, that, uh, that we will ever see yeah, that book? Well, I'm actually working on a new book called Larger Than Life, which incorporates some of her chapters and is really about Hollywood in the 50s and she being the spokesman because she had the most remarkable chapters written about being adopted by Elsie DeWolf and Sir Charles Mendel when she went to Hollywood, the first being at Warner Brothers and Jack Warner, MGM, uh, her marriages, uh, parties. Uh, and uh, so I've incorporated... Uh, some of those chapters in it. So I'm working on the book. I was going to really go full steam ahead, but frankly, I decided to put it aside for the moment because it's, you know, this summer I went to Venice and I, you know, went on to the Grand Canal and it just made me think, you know, Mark, you've got to go on to a new chapter rather than living in the past. And so I'm putting the book aside for the moment. I will do it, but I was going to go full steam ahead. But I really want to focus on new challenges. And I have very lucky I have so many friends and my career and not spend an, another year in the past. So the wow. book will come out eventually. Yeah. 
Well, that's where I am with everything right now as well. So when the book does come out, I hope that uh, you and I can do an event together live, yeah, live somewhere. Live, as opposed to and do. everybody will come uh, come and see the show. Uh, so everyone, thank you for being here tonight. As you all know, I end every show by telling everyone uh, to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. If you are seeing this show for the first time, I hope it will not be your last time. Uh, there are over 600 of these shows to uh, to check out, uh, please uh, consider subscribing to Richard Skipper Celebrates on YouTube. Uh, leave a comment on YouTube about what your thoughts are about tonight's show and share this with others. Uh, you know, advertising is great, but word of mouth is even greater. So tell other people about this show. Uh, I also tell everyone to go out, uh, you know, find somebody on your list that you have not spoken to in a long time and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a right. message, with you. Right. a phone call, and let that person know what they mean in your lives because you never know uh, what tomorrow holds. Uh, last week, I lost three very good friends in my life, including my director for my last show. Well. So it's important that we take the time to do that. Um, I have a dear friend, Sean Moniger, and he always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And you never know what someone else is going through right now. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So, <laughs> on that note, it's all yours, Mark. You've got the final word tonight. And this has been a blast. Thank you. for Well, being I've here. had the best time. And what I want to say is that, you know, all of us watch the news. We know that we're going through a very, very difficult time in terms of wars in Ukraine and Russia, uh, the economy. Uh, fires, famines, all kinds of negativity. And uh, Richard, his spirit really gives us a feeling of optimism uh, that the world is still going to be a better place. We're going to love each other. And uh, I think that's the message I got out of tonight's show. So Richard, thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for watching.